Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of a senior's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about anemia in the older adult. This is a very, very common diagnosis in older people. And I think many people know that anemia means having a lower than normal red blood cell count. But over my years practicing as a doctor, I've noticed that people are often a bit confused about anemia. For instance, I've heard some patients assume that all anemia means you need to take iron supplements. And occasionally, I've even come across people who are self-treating with iron because you can get iron over the counter. I've had other patients worry that anemia means they have cancer because they've heard that many people with cancer have low red blood cell counts. I've also come across quite a lot of patients who had anemia and hadn't gotten much of an evaluation for it. Uh, There were even some of them who didn't realize they'd had anemia for a while. And this is a problem because if a person has a lower than normal red blood cell count, you actually do want your doctors to look into the causes and explain them to you. You wanna understand what is affecting those red blood cells and you wanna address that problem. Or I should really say those problems because anemia is yet another of those senior health problems that tends to have multiple underlying causes in older adults, whereas in children and young adults, there tends to be one single cause that can be identified and often treated. So in this episode, I want to explain the basics of anemia to you. We're going to cover how anemia is diagnosed, the symptoms of anemia, the most common causes in older adults, and then common follow-up tests to evaluate anemia. And then we'll review some questions that you can ask the doctor if you're told you have anemia or if you notice a low red blood cell count on your lab results. And then I'll close with some tips on avoiding common pitfalls and on getting better care. I'm going to start by defining anemia and explaining just how we detect it. As you probably already know, anemia, strictly speaking, means having a lower than normal count of red blood cells circulating in the blood. And in the body, the role of red blood cells is to carry oxygen, which they get from your lungs, to every cell in the body. So red blood cells are very, very important. So how do we know when a person has anemia? Well, red blood cells are always counted as part of a complete blood count laboratory test. That's called usually the CBC. And that's a test that gets ordered quite often in primary care, or in the emergency department, or in the hospital. A CBC test usually includes the following results. The white blood cell count, which is how many white blood cells you have per microliter of blood, the red blood cell count, the hemoglobin, and that's an oxygen-carrying protein that is in the red blood cell. It does contain iron in it. So 
the hemoglobin level represents how many grams of this oxygen-carrying protein you have per deciliter of blood. Then there's another value called hematocrits. And this is the fraction of blood that is made up of red blood cells because your blood actually contains, uh, it contains liquid, it contains red cells, it contains other cells, it contains floating proteins. So if they spin it down in a centrifuge, they can see what proportion of your blood is red blood cells, and that is the hematocrit. Then there's another test called the mean corpuscular volume, which represents the average size of the red blood cells. And then finally, there's a platelet count. And there are sometimes, uh, depending on the lab or the test, that the type of CBC that was ordered, there may be other results, but that's kind of the basics of the CBC. And I'll put a link to a Medline page in the show notes where you can learn more if you'd like to learn more about that. So by convention, to detect anemia, clinicians actually look at the hemoglobin level and sometimes the hematocrit rather than on the total red blood cell count. I'm actually not entirely sure why that is, but that is what we do. A normal level of hemoglobin is usually in the range of 14 to 17 grams per deciliter for men and 15 to 12 for women, but different laboratories may define the normal range slightly differently. And if the hemoglobin level is recorded below that normal range, this would be concerning for anemia. In most cases, especially if it's not just barely below the normal cutoff, doctors should confirm it by repeating the test because there is something called laboratory error. And sometimes when we repeat a test, it comes back normal. And then we decide to either not worry about it or maybe just repeat the test again a little bit later. Once a lower than normal hemoglobin level is detected, what then? So usually if clinicians make note of this and want to investigate it further, they'll review the mean corpuscular volume. So they'll review that measurement that represents the size of the red cells. And they're looking to see if the red cells are smaller than normal, larger than normal, or kind of in the normal range. And the reason why we do this is because there are actually many different underlying health problems that can cause anemia. And some of them are associated with a smaller number of red cells and those cells are smaller than usual and that's called microcytic because the cells are small. And a classic example of microcytic anemia would be iron deficiency anemia, whereas there are other anemias that cause a larger than normal red blood cell. And so vitamin B12 deficiency, which uh, we talked about in episode 21, causes classically, and when I say classically, it means the sort of textbook image that they teach you about in medical school. So vitamin B12 deficiency causes a macrocytic anemia. So an anemia where you have fewer red blood cells, but those that are there are bigger than normal. And then there are other anemias that will cause a normocytic anemia. So you have fewer red blood cells, but they're of normal size. Now, where one has to be careful in all of this is that we're taught this in medical school. But another thing they tell us all the time in medical school is that patients don't read the book. It turns out that even though many people with iron deficiency anemia will have red blood cells that are smaller than usual. They've also discovered that a fair number of people who have low iron levels and anemia have normal sized blood cells. And this is sometimes because they have a coexisting other cause. There are people who are low in both iron and vitamin B12. And so the red cells might sort of end up somewhere between the two. And there are other reasons for this. So you may come across, if you read into anemia, 
uh, this idea that, you know, are the cells smaller than usual, larger than usual? And although I think that's certainly worth thinking about, it's now considered unwise, especially when it comes to older people, to rely just on the size of the cells in considering what the cause is for anemia. So it's a, it's a clue, but it shouldn't be considered definitive. Now, before I go into common causes, other common causes of anemia, I'm just going to briefly review the symptoms of anemia. So as I mentioned, the job of red blood cells in your body is to carry oxygen from your lungs to every cell in your body. So when a person doesn't have enough properly functioning red blood cells, the body begins to experience a variety of symptoms that are basically related to not having enough oxygen. So some common symptoms. One is fatigue, just feeling tired or getting tired more easily, especially when one exerts ourself. Another one is weakness. Another one is shortness of breath. Uh, many people will also develop a higher than usual heart rate. That's assuming that one, they're not on medication that slows down your heart rate, such as a beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker. Those are two common types of heart and blood pressure medications that actually keep the heart from going too fast. And that's also assuming that people don't have something else going on in their heart that might cause it to be slower, because that also happens to some people as they get older. Another symptom of uh, anemia is that people can become pale, paler than usual. It's often first seen by checking the inside of the lower lids. You know, it's quite red and rosy in there because the blood vessels are so close to the surface. So you might have noticed that a doctor checking for anemia might look inside somebody's eyelids to see if it looks paler than usual. And then, especially if people reach a certain degree of, of anemia, they can become visibly paler than they usually are. And then lastly, another potential symptom of anemia is low blood pressure. This is especially true if the anemia is caused by bleeding that's faster than a very slow bleed or slow ooze. Those are probably the most common symptoms of anemia. However, it's quite common for people, especially older adults, to have mild anemia. This means a hemoglobin level that's not very far below normal. So um, say a hemoglobin level of about 11. And in this case, symptoms may be barely noticeable or practically non-existent. And that's because how bad a person's anemia symptoms feel depends on two really important factors. One is how far below normal is the hemoglobin level. So if it's just a little low, most people will have very mild or not, not noticeable symptoms. And for most people, it needs to get probably below 10, I would say, before they start noticing it. But it really depends on the person because different people, depending on their health conditions and their individual bodies, will have different levels of sensitivity to a lower red blood cell count. And then the other really important issue is how quickly did the hemoglobin drop to this level? So the human body does adapt somewhat to lower hemoglobin levels, but it usually takes weeks or months to do this. And so this means that if somebody's hemoglobin drops from, say, 12.5 to 10, and 10 is kind of overall a moderate level of anemia, they'll feel quite crummy if it happens over two days. Or sometimes people, you know, will have a drop in hemoglobin if they've donated blood and they might feel tired right afterwards. But that feeling will be much less noticeable if the hemoglobin develops slowly over two months, which could happen if somebody either had a very slow bleed, uh, like in their stomach or intestine from an ulcer, or there are many other causes that can cause the hemoglobin to, to drop down over time. Let's talk about those causes. What does cause anemia? 
Whenever anemia is detected, it's really important to try to figure out what is causing the low red blood cell count. And there are basically two main causes or two categories of causes for anemia. One category is, is there a problem in creating and producing the red blood cells? And then the other main category is, is there a problem in losing the red blood cells too quickly? Now, let me tell you something briefly about red blood cells in the body. Compared to most cells in the human body, red blood cells actually have a fairly short lifespan. They live 100 to 120 days. This means that a healthy body must always be producing red blood cells. And this happens in the bone marrow that has uh, special cells whose job it is to um, create more red cells and other cells for their blood. And it takes about five to six days in the bone marrow and then another one to two days for the red blood cell to finish maturing out in your blood. Then red blood cells work in the blood for about three to four months and then they die and the body actually recovers the iron from the red blood cells and reuses it to create new red blood cells. Anemia happens when something goes wrong with these normal processes. And again, even though in children and young adults, there's often one clear cause for the anemia, in older adults, it's common for there to be several coexisting causes. So several things that are interfering with this process of making red blood cells and having them work for three to four months and then recovering the iron from them. So let me now tell you what are some of the most common causes for anemia in each category. I'm going to start with problems producing red blood cells. This would basically include all kinds of problems related to the bone marrow function, because that's where red blood cells are made. And it would also include problems such as deficiencies in vitamins or iron or other substances that are needed to make red blood cells. So some common specific causes. One of them is chemotherapy or other medications. There are a number of medications that can affect the bone marrow cells that are responsible for making red blood cells. Chemotherapy in particular usually targets cells that are quickly dividing and working. Chemotherapy does this because cancer cells are often dividing very quickly, but the trouble is that your precursor cells in the bone marrow to make red blood cells are also working quite a lot, and so they tend to get affected by chemotherapy as well. And then there are other medications that can affect the bone marrow. Often it's a, a side effect that doesn't affect everybody that might affect a certain proportion of people and weaken their, their bone marrow. So chemotherapy and medication side effects are one cause of anemia. Another quite common cause, especially in older adults, is iron deficiency. So all those people who are assuming it's iron deficiency are not, uh, they're not entirely wrong. I mean, they have a good basis for this. The thing is, it's not always iron deficiency, and you don't want to be taking iron unless it definitely is iron deficiency. And then furthermore, if there is iron deficiency, you need to figure out a little bit why. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that then. In the U.S., most people are not iron deficient due to not eating enough iron. Uh, the exception would be vegetarians because iron is mostly in meat-based foods. Uh, more common in older adults is to be iron deficient due to chronic blood loss. And so when you lose blood, your body can't recover the iron from the uh, dying red blood cells and recycle it. I'll talk a little bit more about the ways that older people can bleed and lose iron and have anemia a little later, but iron deficiency does cause anemia because that iron is needed to make red blood cells. 
Another cause would be, again, lack of vitamins needed for red blood cells, especially vitamin B12, which, as I mentioned in a previous episode, is actually quite common in older adults. And then folate also is necessary for red blood cell formation. Another cause of difficulty producing red blood cells would be low levels of a substance called erythropoietin. So this is the, quote, EPO substance that is used in blood doping by unethical athletes. It's actually a natural substance within the body that is produced by the kidneys. The kidneys have sensors. uh, The whole body is connected to itself by chemical signals. And uh, when the body needs to make more red blood cells, the kidneys usually sense this and send a signal to the bone marrow using the substance erythropoietin to make red blood cells. So athletes can further increase their red blood cell count, which means they can do their athletic work better by adding extra EPO to their bodies. So that's the blood doping. But in the real world, people who have kidney disease and kidney disease, especially at mild to moderate levels, is fairly common among older adults. They'll often have low levels of erythropoietin. And so this can cause a related anemia and we call it anemia of chronic kidney disease. Another cause is also chronic inflammation. And this process is a little less well understood, but we do know that it's been noted for a while that people who have a variety of chronic illnesses, especially the ones that have an inflammatory component, have anemia, which classically is normocytic, so fewer uh, red blood cells of normal size. So this could be due to an ongoing cancer. It could be due to a chronic infection. It could be due to an autoimmune disease or a variety of other problems. This is called anemia of chronic disease, and it's believed to be related to the chronic inflammation that people can have with certain illnesses. And then lastly, there are a variety of illnesses and disorders that are related specifically to the bone marrow. So any disorder that affects the bone marrow environments, like a fibrosis of the bone marrow, or there's another condition where the the cells within the bone marrow that are supposed to be making red cells and white cells become uh, malformed, it's called myelodysplasia. Those problems and really any disorder that affects the bone marrows or those precursor blood cells will interfere with red blood cell production and hence cause anemia. So those are some of the common problems, some of the common causes of anemia that are related to a problem affecting the body's ability to make those red blood cells. Now, let's talk about the other category of problems. Then there are the problems losing red blood cells. Blood loss causes anemia uh, for two reasons. One is that red blood cells are leaving the bloodstream faster than they can be produced by the bone marrow. And this can happen very quickly and obviously. So if you have a major accident and you're bleeding into the street, that's going to make you anemic very quickly. There are also actually after some falls or accidents, people can bleed into a space in the body, like into their abdomen or elsewhere, and they can lose quite a lot of blood fairly quickly. And that will also cause anemia fairly quickly. It can be a little bit harder to detect. And then there are the slow bleeds which usually means a small, slowly bleeding spot in the stomach or small intestine or in the colon. Now, a healthy bone marrow will usually attempt to crank up red blood cell production in response to the bleeding. But in order to step up that production, it has to have enough of the raw materials, notably the iron. And so if people are having a slow bleed, they're actually losing the iron instead of the body being able to recuperate it and reuse it into new blood cells. And so slow bleeds can worsen anemia by causing an iron deficiency. 
And older adults are actually particularly at risk for having these kinds of chronic, slow, hard-to-detect bleeds. One fairly common cause is actually a daily aspirin or even a daily over-the-counter anti-inflammatory. These are called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. The common examples are ibuprofen. That's the generic name. The brand name would be Advil or Motrin. Another common one is naproxen. The brand name would be naproxen. Those kinds of over-the-counter anti-inflammatories and aspirin are in this group of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. There are other prescription ones that are given for arthritis. And they do interfere with, um, one, the body's ability to, to clot somewhat, especially aspirin. That's why people take aspirin. But they also irritate the stomach. So because so many people take these drugs, every year there are really um, tens of thousands of older adults who are hospitalized for bleeding related to this. I've had it happen to some of my patients, actually. And so because these drugs are, especially the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and naproxen are so risky in older adults, they're actually on the list of medications that older adults should avoid or use with caution. Other causes of some slow bleeding inside could be an ulcer, peptic ulcer disease. And then in some cases, people are bleeding because they actually have a cancer or a precancer in the stomach or bowel. Lastly, a cause that I'll mention for losing blood in older adults would be frequent blood draws. So we see this mainly in people who've been in the hospital for a while. If you get a daily blood draw every day for two weeks, your blood count can start to drift down. So those are the two major categories of causes um, for anemia in older adults. There's a third cause which you might hear about if you try to learn about anemia. It's related to red blood cells being abnormally destroyed in the body before they live their usual lifespan. So these are called hemolytic anemias. Malaria, which is not very common in the U.S., but is, of course, a huge public health issue in, in Africa and in some other parts of the world. Malaria actually causes red blood cells to explode in the bloodstream. And so that's a form of hemolytic anemia. But in the U.S., there are some medications and some conditions that can cause hemolytic anemia in older adults, but it's relatively uncommon. So there was a research study done that studied um, the causes of anemia in older adults. And they found that a third of anemias were due to a deficiency of iron, vitamin D12, and or folate. Another third were due to either chronic kidney disease or that anemia of chronic disease, which means anemia related to some kind of chronic illness or chronic source of inflammation in the body. And then one third of the anemias were unexplained. So let me now tell you a little bit more about how doctors evaluate anemia, or at least how we're taught we should evaluate anemia during our medical training. So again, once anemia is detected, it's important to do some additional evaluation and follow-up to come to some conclusions uh, as to what might be causing the anemia. And that's because, again, the right treatment and management depends on properly understanding the problem and what's causing the problem. So to do this, one of the things we think about is the timeline of the anemia. It's really helpful to find out, is this an anemia that came on quickly or has it slowly been getting worse and worse over the past several months or few years? We also like to think about the, the kind of trend and the trajectory of the blood count. There are some patients where when we realize they are anemic and we look back in their record, we see that they've had the same level of moderate anemia for a few years. There are some people who are going up and down. And then in a way, you know, what's extremely worrisome is somebody who's trending down, 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 down. 
So reviewing that timeline can be very helpful to doctors to help them figure out what's going on and how urgent the situation is. And by the way, that's one reason why it will be helpful if you keep copies of your laboratory results, which I encourage everybody to do. That will make it easier if you go see a doctor, especially if you move or see a new doctor, it'll make it easier for them to go back and look in the past and and understand what has been the past history of your blood count if they're concerned about it being low or abnormal at this time. So to evaluate anemia, doctors will consider the timeline of the anemia, and they'll, of course, ask you questions about your symptoms, review your medical history, examine you. And then depending on on what they found so far, they'll usually order some follow-up tests. So the most common follow-up tests include, one, checking the stool for signs of microscopic blood loss, two, checking the body's iron levels, And usually the first test we do, which is a good proxy for the iron levels, is a test called ferritin. So that should reflect iron stores in the body. Um, Doctors will also usually check vitamin B12 levels and sometimes folate levels. They'll want to check on kidney function, which is usually done by reviewing something called the estimated glomerular filtration rate. It's now included in most basic blood work results, especially the Chemistry 7 panel, which includes electrolytes and a few measures of kidney function. So usually they don't have to order a specific new test to do that. Now, what is less commonly ordered, what can be important, is to order a test for something that's called the reticulocyte count. And basically, reticulocytes are the brand new red blood cells that have just emerged from the bone marrow. Their first day or two, they're a little bit bigger than usual red blood cells. They haven't quite finished maturing. And there is a test that sort of measures what percentage of them are in the blood. And the reason why we look for this is that if you've been losing blood, but your bone marrow is normal and your ability to make red blood cells is normal, the healthy response is to crank up production in the bone marrow. And that usually means there are more reticulocytes than usual in the blood. This is basically a test which reflects whether the bone marrow is trying and able to produce extra red blood cells to compensate for anemia. Then another test that doctors might do would be to check for a level of an inflammation marker in the blood. This is especially true if the person doesn't have a known chronic condition causing inflammation. And some common inflammation markers that we check would be, there's one test called the ESR, the erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Uh, which is often high in certain autoimmune conditions and other problems. And then another one is called the C-reactive protein. Yet another test, which is sometimes ordered, is called an evaluation of the peripheral smear. This means the cells in the blood are actually sort of smeared onto a microscope slide. And then somebody takes a look at them to see what they look like, whether they have irregular shapes, whether they look like they have pieces taken out of them. And that also can provide some insights and clues as to what might be causing anemia. And then lastly, the doctors might order urine tests, partly to check for blood in the urine, but also to check and see if there are certain proteins that are associated with certain blood cell disorders. Of course, if the anemia is bad enough or if the person is suffering significant symptoms, the doctors might also consider a blood transfusion. And it's at that point that they would check your blood type. Now, this might be surprising to some of you, but actually when we're concerned about anemia, we usually don't check a person's blood type. We usually check blood type mainly if we're thinking we're gonna transfuse somebody. So now I've given you a lot of basic information about anemia and how it gets evaluated. So let me try to bring it to some practical suggestions regarding what you can ask the doctor 
if you're told that you have anemia or if you're a family caregiver and you're told that your older parent or another older relative has anemia. As you know, I'm a big fan of patients and families being proactive to make sure that uh, they're getting optimal health care and that things aren't falling through the cracks. And also because I feel it's important to understand one's health so that one can participate and, and make good decisions. Basically, if you're told that uh, you have anemia, um, or if you get your blood test results and you look at it and you see, because the lab usually indicates when things are out of the normal range, if you see you know, low next to the hemoglobin level or the hematocrit level, then you want to discuss it with the doctor. And your main focus should be to understand, uh, one, how bad it is. Are we talking something really mild, in which case it's a little less urgent, although you still want to follow it, or is it quite severe? And so one, you want to get a sense of how severe it is. And then two, you want to get a sense of what the doctors think might be causing it. And if they don't quite have an answer, what's their plan for evaluating it and figuring that out? Some specific questions that can be handy to ask are things like, you know, one, how bad is this anemia? Does it seem to be mild or moderate or severe? Two, what do you think is causing it? Could there be multiple causes or factors involved? Three, how long do you think I've had this anemia? Does it seem to be stable or is it getting worse? Four, is this the cause of my symptoms or do you think something else is causing my symptoms? Five, could any of my medications be involved? Six, what is our plan for further evaluation? Seven, what is our plan for treating this anemia? And then eight, when do you recommend we check the CBC again? And what is our plan for monitoring the anemia? So if you're interested in those questions, I have a related article that I'm publishing to the website that lists these questions. And so I'll put a link to that article in the show notes and you can see them there. I also want to encourage you again to request and keep copies of your lab results uh, because again, this will this will help you follow along this problem and it'll help you and your doctors in the future be able to review your past lab results related to anemia and any related testing. So for instance, for me, when I do a consultation, I'll see that an older person has anemia. Well, I often want to know, well, was their B12 level checked? Because often the blood count and the kidney function were checked with the latest labs, but not necessarily the vitamin B12. So that's when it's helpful to be able to look back at somebody's labs and see what was done and also see if a ferritin was checked. Let me now uh, move on to the last uh, section of the episode, which is um, tips on avoiding common pitfalls and getting better care. So I'm, let me start by sharing some of the uh, issues that I've seen come up a few times. You know, So one, as I mentioned, I have seen some patients self-treat anemia with iron. And a related issue is that I've seen some clinicians treating anemia with iron, even though when I reviewed the medical chart in detail, as best I could tell, they hadn't actually checked a ferritin or iron studies, you know, so they had sort of presumptively assumed that it was iron deficiency. Now, as best we can tell, iron deficiency is the cause or a cause of anemia in a significant proportion of older adults, but it's not always the cause. And so the recommended practice is to check iron levels so if you have anemia, you, you want to ask about that. You want to make sure that the iron levels are checked. And even if your iron level is low, you should still probably be checked for vitamin B12 deficiency. That's also very common. It's quite possible for people to have both. And, and you should, especially if iron levels are low, you should be checked for the source of a bleed somewhere 
because that will also be a contributing factor in a certain number of older adults. And if it looks like there might be bleeding, and we would suspect bleeding either if the person has a low iron level. I mean, a low iron level should be presumed there's a bleed somewhere until it's been really investigated and there's no sign. Or if there's been uh, microscopic blood in the stool, then it's especially important to have one's medications reviewed and to rethink any aspirin or, over the, or uh, anti-inflammatory drugs, either over-the-counter or prescription that a person might be taking. Also, iron supplements, uh, they work, but they're quite constipating for older adults. So you really only want to take them if an iron deficiency anemia has been confirmed, and you want to make sure any causes of ongoing slow blood loss uh, have been addressed. So that's one set of tips related to iron deficiency anemia, either being kind of uh, inappropriately diagnosed or in terms of making sure that you get the right follow-up checking for medication side effects and for bleeding if you are diagnosed with iron deficiency anemia. The other main pitfall that I see is that sometimes there's not really a lot of follow-up. I mean, this happens with all kinds of chronic conditions in primary care. And honestly, there are a lot of people who have a mild or moderate anemia for quite a while. And I think it's it's easy for, for clinicians to just keep sort of uh, not getting around to, to following up on it. But, you know, if they thought it was iron deficiency anemia and they treated you with iron and your iron levels went up, then the anemia should get better. And if it's not getting better, then they should, again, you know, look for other potential causes. So you do want to make sure that it gets followed up. And the best way to do that is to, you know, ask the doctor, when will it be followed up? And then if it hasn't been brought up or discussed, you know, in say six months, ask about it. To summarize and wrap up, I guess my key points regarding anemia. This is a very common condition for older adults It's been estimated that 10% of people age 65 or older have anemia, and uh, it's even more common, one, as people get older and older, two, even more common in people who are in nursing homes. So super common condition, ranges from mild to moderate or fairly significant, often has multiple underlying causes, and it is common for it to be related to a lack of iron or other vitamins. And since it's so common, it can be easy for doctors to not pay as much attention as, as you might want them to do. So, so if you are diagnosed with anemia or if you notice a lower than normal hemoglobin on your lab report, be sure to ask questions to understand your anemia. And in particular, you'll want to know, is it chronic or new? Is it mild or severe? What is thought to be the cause and have you been checked for common problems such as low iron or low vitamin B12? If you are diagnosed with low iron, could it be from a small internal bleed? And could that be associated with aspirin, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, or another medication? Make sure you know what the follow-up plan is and then keep copies of your lab reports. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for this episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources I mentioned, including a link to the article on anemia, which includes many of the questions and tips that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. 
Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please consider leaving a rating and a review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes. <music>